Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Anyway, (laughs) I wanted to just do a little something to uh, just get your mind on a road trip. And if you notice one thing... Now, a lot of times, as I said, we have a GPS. I'm out of breath. That's bad. I was just sitting down mostly. (laughs) But we have a GPS or maybe even a map. And the map will get us where we're going. The GPS hopefully will get us where we're going. If we want to get to our destination, we've got to follow the directions. We have to follow the instructions. And that's what all of us are called to do. Sometimes we might even follow the direction of somebody who has been there before. You know, we don't have a map, we don't have a GPS, but we have somebody that we can trust. And that's what we try to do. But if I'm being honest, sometimes our GPSs have let us down. All right. If you've been here over these past few weeks, you may have heard me tell a story about uh, the time that uh, early on in the days of GPS that a GPS tried to murder me and my youth group. Well, mostly me. Uh, I'll tell you that story later. If you haven't heard it, just ask me and I'll, I'll tell you about it. GPSs have not always been super trustworthy and they still don't always get it right. And then other times, you know, you get a map. This is funny because this map was in my dad's truck that I'm borrowing for a few days and it is from Alabama. I think he's been to Alabama like once. And it's from like 2007 and 2008. What are the chances they've got any new roads since 2007, 2008? So the map might be incorrect. It might not have everything updated. And so the map will let you down. And then, like Mike talked about in our communion talk, many times our memories will what? They'll fail us. We'll forget. And somebody will think they know the right directions, but they don't necessarily know which way to tell you to go. But what we have to do in this road trip of life, not these silly road trips, like definitely not like this one we went on, but real road trips that you get into the car with your families and go on, or some friends. In this road trip of our lives, the spiritual walk we have, we've got to learn to trust to follow God's guidance and direction. And it's a, it's a wrestling match that we get caught up in. And we think that, okay, I, sometimes we don't even trust God, but we have to learn to trust him. Because a map might have let you down, a person might have let you down, a, a GPS, so to speak, might have let you down. Some of your decisions have let you down. But I want to tell you the honest truth, and I hope everybody hears this. God has never or will never let you down. If you think that God has let you down, you just messed up the, messed up the instructions a little bit. You know? I, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just telling you the truth. If you think God has let you down, then we just misunderstood what he said or we disobeyed what he said. And when we go through pain, and sometimes it comes from no effect. You're trying to follow God. You're trying to do what's right. But there's sin in this world, and sinful people will hurt you, and you didn't even do anything. And that happens too. And sometimes that gets us off of the path that we are trying to be on. And I want to tell you this morning that the book of Hebrews was a book written, a letter written, and it's part of the Bible. And it was a letter written to Christians who were Jews first and they were thinking about leaving the christian faith and going back to just being a jew and following the old testament they were struggling with it because many of these people had either had the fear of or really had lost friends 
They lost family that had just rejected them because they started following this Jesus guy and following this church. They started losing their jobs. They had all sorts of hardships and heartaches that they were going through, and they struggled. And so we can't get too judgmental on them. We can't just sit there and say, oh, well, you know, they should be more spiritual. Because let's be honest, most of us here in America have it relatively easy. There are people who struggle mightily. There are people who have uh, difficulties that I don't know anything about. But compared to what they went through, and I think it gets a little more real as we watch the news this past week. People in Afghanistan who tried to follow Jesus have got, had a difficult time. Like we can never even imagine as we watch news reports and see the things that they're suffering and going through. But these Jewish Christians were struggling. They were thinking about just walking away from it all. This burden they were carrying was, it was heavy. And they didn't know if they could do it anymore. So the writer of Hebrews, he writes this powerful letter that we're going to just spend a small section on today to remind them to stay faithful, to, to follow the map that God has given them, to follow the, the GPS, if you will, that God has given them, and keep it between the lines. And honestly, if we want to get where we're going on a road trip, that's what we do. We follow the instructions and try to keep it between the lines and try to enjoy the ride as best as possible. Am I right? And that's what we do in the spiritual road trip that we're on. So I want us to look at part of chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. You can turn in your Bibles if you'd like or on your app on your phone. We even have the scripture on the screen for you and you can read along there as well. But we're going to look at parts of Hebrews chapter 10 and, and see what God has to say about keeping it on the road in this road trip. Now, before we move too far, I want to remind ourselves that these Jews had centuries, they had centuries of not being able to even think about entering into the presence of God. Only the most holy high priests that they had could enter into God's presence one time a year. And so for the everyday person like most of us would probably be, it was just unspeakable or unthinkable to think, okay, I could just walk into the presence of God and do whatever I want. It was just unheard of. You loved God, you, you respected Him, you feared Him, but to be in his presence was just unheard of. And so I want you to think about that as we read these words next. Of This is what these people have been ingrained and had, had trained into their minds in a way of thinking. That you just don't enter into God's presence. If you even do, you don't do it ca casually. But here's one thing that we say at this church from time to time. Jesus changes everything. You know that? Jesus changes everything, and he has changed everything for the better. And so I want you to think about that as we read here in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from, all, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Now, I want to draw your minds back to this second. Remember I said that they wouldn't even have a concept of entering into the presence of God. As for, for centuries, they had been told, you just don't do that. One person can do it, and he did it with fear. 
We talked about that over the past few weeks, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. You can go back and listen to one of those messages. But he did it with fear. And so for the everyday, regular person to hear, okay, now we can enter into the holy places with boldness and with courage, it's, it's just mind-blowing. And so I want you to know that not only does the writer of Hebrews write that to his first century recipients of this letter, he writes that to you and I. And you and I can enter into the presence of God with boldness and with joy. We can enter in because of the blood of Jesus. That he opened up, he tore that veil, that curtain. He tore it that was just unterrible. They, would, they, could, they said you could attach an oxen to each side or a team of oxen. And they could pull and they wouldn't rip it. But when Jesus died on the cross, it said the veil ripped from top to bottom. And he opened the way through his body, through his flesh, so that we could enter into the presence of God. And it gets even better, folks. Not only can we enter into his presence, his presence will what? Live in us. And that's what we've got to understand. His presence will live in us. And God says through the Hebrew writer, he draws... The, the first readers to this point, and he draws us back to it. And he draws us, it's interesting, If I don't know if you caught it, but I want you to go back and look at it with me. He draws back to this plan of salvation that we've been working through for these past few weeks. His, he draws us, you and I, along with those early Christians, we can enter the holy presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Nothing is holding us back. And he says there in verse 22, he says, let us draw near draw near that reminds us of repentance if you remember when we talked about repentance we talked about the idea of let's say sin is over here and God is over here that what we tend to do is what face and run towards what sin but when we repent we turn around and we leave that sin and we run to who God we run to Jesus and so that's why he says draw near draw near to God you can do this you leave that sin you cannot draw near to God and do what Stay in that sin. You cannot draw near to God and stay in that sin. So you leave that sin, you draw near to God. So he's, brought, he's drawing our minds back to repentance. And then he uses a the phrase there in verse uh, 22 as well. Full assurance of faith. That very first week, Michael Chappell talked about faith and what it means to really truly trust God. And so that full assurance of faith, so he brings our minds back to faith here. He uses the phrase there in verse uh, 23, I believe. Excuse me, 20, still 22. Washed with pure water, reminding us of our baptism into Christ. We're, we're washed, and he does something spiritual at that point, so he reminds us of our baptism. And then he also says right there in verse uh, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And what do you think that's alluding to? Confessing Jesus, confession, like we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. So he's drawing their minds back. And why do you think he's drawing their minds back? Because for centuries, they had been told what? You cannot do what? Enter into... That's right. You cannot enter into the presence of God. And so he's saying, you can have confidence to do that because you have believed in God. You've trusted Him in faith. You've repented of your sin. You've left your sin and you've drawn near to God. You've confessed Him. You've confessed the hope that you have and you've been baptized. You can boldly enter in because of the blood of Jesus. And so he's reminding me, saying, don't believe the hype, to quote Flavor Flav. He's an old prophet. I don't know if y'all heard of him. But that just, I didn't write that down. That just came out. <laughs> but, 
But what he's saying is, he says, you can enter into God's presence because he is faithful and he is good. And Jesus has shed his blood. He's opened the way through his body. And so do you know what he's doing? He's reminding them, those first people that he wrote this letter to, and he's reminding us to keep hanging on. Hold on to Jesus. Because I don't know about y'all. Remember I said he's writing this first to Jewish Christians who were thinking about leaving Christianity and going back to just being a Jew? You and I might not be from a Jewish lineage, but I bet every single day we wrestle with, am I really going to follow Jesus? Is it worth it? And maybe not every day, maybe it's once a week, or maybe it's once a month, or maybe it's once a year, or once every 10 years. I don't know what it is for you, but there are times when you struggle, and there are times when you wonder, is the burden of the cross really what I want to carry? Is the burden of being different and standing up and being a follower of Jesus really what I think I can keep on doing? And let's be honest, let's be real, we struggle sometimes with living a double life. We're around a certain group of people. Yeah, we carry that cross. Here's my cross. And then as soon as we're away, we, we throw that thing down and we just do what we want to do. Because that's where the real pressure comes on is when you have to go out into the world and live it. It's hard. But he says, hold on. Keep holding on to Jesus. He's saying we can be faithful because why? Look at verse 23 with me again. If we can get that back up on the screen. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you're starting to doubt, if you're starting to wonder if you can keep on, just know that God is faithful. He will not give up on you, so you hold on to him. Do not waver from one side to the other. Don't turn aside. You know, now we have those things on the sides of the highway, those little rumble strips. You know, if you're getting tired or you're not paying attention, you know, you get over and you hit those things. It reminds you to do what? Get back in your lane. Stay in your lane, right? And you know what? There are rumble strips in this spiritual road trip that we're on, but we choose to ignore them a lot of times. We've got the Holy Spirit that convicts us when we are doing something or thinking about something we shouldn't be, and we get that little nudge. Then if we are following Jesus the way he's called us to, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ who will nudge us and and say, but we usually call them judgmental jerks, right? But they're just trying to get us back in the right path. We've got plenty of rumble strips. It's just time to what? Listen to them. And so we've got to make sure that we do not waver or turn turn to either side. I'm going to say this and then I'll move on real quick. But God, he's got a double meaning in this passage. Because what he's doing is he's referring back to what the priests did to enter into the tabernacle or the temple when he's using all these things about washing with pure water and the temple veil being split. You know, he's drawing their minds back to what it used to be like, right? And so he's got this double meaning. He's saying in the Old Testament, the priests had to do all these things before they could enter into the presence of God. But now he's saying for you, you and I, guess what? I I, I don't think you've missed this, but I want to make sure we all catch this. Back then, it was a few select priests, and only one could enter into the presence of God. But do you know something? Do you know that if you are a Christian, that now you are a priest? 
It's not just some guy with the pointy hat or the nice robes. It's not just me, the preacher, that's a priest. It's all of us who have been covered by the blood of Jesus. We are priests. There is not a I'll just sit and chill section in the Christian family. We are a priest and we're called to serve and we can all boldly enter into the presence of God. And that is what we're, if Jesus spilled his blood, don't you think it's worth really living in it? Not just allowing it just to sit on us and just soak. Y- y'all remember when you were kids uh, and, you know, your mom told you, I used to think this is the way you did it. You clean the bathtub, you put Comet on the, around the edge and you let it sit there and soak. It don't do nothing. You got to scrub. And we sometimes think the blood of Jesus is just going to sit on us and soak and it's going to do something. But we've got to get up and get moving because he's prepared us for good works in advance. And he's called us to be his priest, his kingdom of priests even. He goes on and he tells us this. And I want to point out real quick, God's presence was not, it's not just something we enter. What did I say earlier? It's something that enters us and dwells in us. That's right. Do you know why I think we struggle with holding on, though? I mean, there's a lot of different ways that it manifests. But do you know why I think we struggle with being faithful to Jesus? I think a lot of times, once we get in, so to speak, we're just content to be in. We're content to let the comet sit around the ring of the bathtub and just soak, right? We're content to know that, you know, Jesus paid for our sins, and so seems like we're going to heaven, so I'm just going to sit back and relax, you know. I, I'm just going to go. God's got me. I'm good. And sadly enough, a lot of times that's all we care about, or at least we spend a portion of our lives just caring about that, saying, I'm good. That's all that matters. I don't have to worry about hell. I get to go to heaven, and maybe everybody else will find out. And I think that's why many of us struggle with staying faithful because we all know if we've been around long enough, and if you haven't yet, you'll see, just keep your eyes open, you'll see that when people have that as a mindset, the first little bump in the road kicks them right out of the bus. They're just, I'm done, I'm done. Because if they're not used to the struggle, any struggle is a mountain. And if they're not used to wrestling, any little battle is a war. And so we've got to make sure that we focus on holding on to Jesus. And he goes on. Is, you remember back when you became a Christian, if you've done that already? You remember what it was like. Hopefully you were excited. Hopefully you were passionate. Maybe you were serving and maybe you were just doing everything you could. You were telling your friends about Jesus. You were inviting them to church. You were doing all sorts of things. But now, a lot of times we hit this place where we're not excited about serving. Or maybe we never served and we just said, I just want to sit and I just want people to do for me. But God tells us that there's more. Look at verse 24 and verse 25 with me. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching or drawing near. He tells us three really important things I want to look at really quickly. The first is this. Stir others up to love and good works. If you want to know how to hold on to Jesus and stay faithful and keep it between the lines on this road trip, you cannot just come and sit or just show up every now and then and just sit and expect to be able to weather the storms of life. You have to do what we're told here to stir up one another towards love and good deeds. 
Now, don't get me wrong. When you first become a Christian, yeah, you're a baby. You don't know what to do. And so you just, you, little by little, you, you know, we got kids in here. It's, it's real easy to look around and see a kid, right? They go and they move. They grow a little bit by little bit. They learn to eat food. You know, they start out with milk. Then they get a little bit more food and solid food. And then they hopefully grow up. But the only problem is, is many times in a Christian life, we stay in the nursery. 37 years old, walking around in a diaper. Can totally go to the bathroom by yourself, but won't. We do it. We, we struggle with it. And so he says, stir others up to love and good deeds. What does that word stir bring to your mind? It brings to my mind a cabbage patch, but that's, that's what I think about. I'm just using it. I just get in these ruts sometimes when I use these old references. I use Flavor Flav and Cabbage Patch. But anyway, I think about stir. It's, it's active, though. That's my point, right? It's active. If you're going to stir, if you're really going to stir something that's thick and needs to be churned up, you're going to have to move your arms. You're going to have to even move your body a little bit. And so when he says, when God says through the Hebrew writer, stir one another up to love and good deeds, do you believe that your presence on a seat is really going to simply do that and stir people up? If we're being honest, no, it's not. You've got to get active, and you've got to get around people, and you've got to be encouraging one another and know one another. Stir one another up to love and good deeds. There's a word that comes to my mind that I want you to think about for a second. Instigator. Now, believe it or not, I've been called an instigator in my life, partly by my mom many times. You're just a little instigator, you know? And we think of that as a negative thing, but it can also be a good thing. It can be somebody who gets things going, and that's what we are called to do. Somebody who gets things going within the church, so that therefore the church can go into the world. Stir people and instigate people to love and good works. Got a question to ask you. Who have you invited to serve alongside you? You may say, oh, well, that, you know, that's your job, or that's, you know, Sherry's job. She leads our movement kids, or Maddie, she leads our, our worship team, or, or Laura, you know, she, she leads our, our welcome and, and all those different ministries. It, it's their job to ask. All right, everybody, everybody raise your right hand, or raise a hand. I don't care if it's right, if you struggle with that. <laughs> raise your right hand. All right, I now deputize you into being a person who can invite people to serve alongside you. All right, say, I do. And if you didn't, Jesus is watching, all right? Okay, you can put your hands down. But I'm saying all of us, if we are a follower of Christ, are released and called and commanded to encourage and stir one another up, instigate people to love and good deeds. And many times just water seeks its own level, right? And many times in our faith, that's what we do. We just, if we will encourage and stir one another up, people will get involved. Many times, I've learned this the hard way, many times people are simply waiting for an invitation. You can talk about it all you want. You can say, man, I wish somebody would help me do this ministry, help me do this, this whatever it is, whether it be in the church or outside the church. But when you go to somebody one-on-one, -on -one, many times they'll say yes. And if they don't, find another one. Then somebody will say yes. So who are you inviting to serve who have you actively loved? Who have you actively loved and shown how to love? I want to remind you of something really quickly. I, I share this pretty regularly. Love doesn't just happen by accident because it's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. Feelings are a byproduct of love. 
Love is a decision that we make. And so I ask you, who have I, who have you been actively loving, doing loving things for, sharing the truth in love? Who are you inviting and showing them how to love? Because unfortunately, it just doesn't happen by accident. So I want to leave you this, with this section with this thing. Become a love and a service instigator. Don't be a troublemaker. Be a love and a service maker. Go out and instigate that. He goes on, he tells them something else there in that passage we just read. He says, meet together. He says there, uh, let me read it again. And let us consider how we stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is in the habit of some. He says, meet together. Don't pick up the bad habits that some people have fallen into. Meet with the church. And I'll be honest, I, I'm just being honest, and if you haven't been around me much, I might be a little bit off-putting, <laughs> because I just want to be real. And I, I just, I've learned enough now, and I've been timid and shy enough so many times that I've allowed people to go their own way, and they don't even know which way they need to go, because I didn't tell them. And so I want people to understand now that this past year and a half has made it easy to not meet together. And, and hear me out, hear me out. I know that there are extenuating circumstances for people. I'm not making a statement that fits everybody to a T. But let's be honest and let's be real. We've all struggled at one time or another during this past year and a half. Watching online as well. We've struggled with using COVID and all the outfall of that as an excuse not to be around people. We've done it. Now, some of us had real health concerns. We all know that. I'm not saying that. You understand me? Y'all hear me? But some of us have used that excuse, and we all have probably used it on some level to not be around people. And Satan loves it when we don't take the opportunities. And, and we can say, oh, well, we couldn't meet. Okay, but we had Zoom. And some people didn't want to do that. You know, there comes a time when we have to realize we're called and we're challenged. We're commanded to meet together. Why? Why? Is it about a church attendance? Is it about numbers that a church can boast or brag about? No. Because when we meet together, that's where relationships happen. And that's where we get invested in one another. And that's where we learn to love one another. And we learn to laugh and cry with one another and pick people up. And we can sense when things are going on in their lives. And we can be the shoulder that they need to lean on. We can be what they need us to be. And they can be that for us. It's where we learn to love and to serve and to move together as you serve and as you study and get to know one another. One of the things that I've learned over 21 plus years of ministry is that unfortunately people will leave the church. You know, I've been involved in different churches and I've seen it time and time again. I know a lot of people in ministry and people will leave the church, unfortunately, more than you would want. It breaks your heart as somebody who's involved and somebody who, like in my case, is a preacher. But one of the things I have learned is there's a pattern that fits most of the time. Is that people that are involved in more than a Sunday morning don't walk away as quickly. If they're involved in a connect group Bible study or when I was a kid, you know, it was like a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Or, or if they're involved in more than just attending on a Sunday morning, they don't quickly leave the church when life gets hard or they go through a, a struggle or depression or they get caught up in sin. They don't leave quite so easily as those who only attend Sunday mornings or attend sporadically. I'm not being mean. I'm just stating the truth, what I've seen over watching over years and years and years. 
And some people say, well, I know people who were involved in everything the church did, and they still left. And yeah, that's true. But most of those people I've seen don't go from 100 miles an hour to zero just like that. They, can, they gradually sort of slow down on that road trip. You know what I mean? They, they stop serving uh, in a ministry. They stop attending in some sort of connect group or small group Bible study. And, you know, it becomes sporadic at first. And then they stop. And then, then they eventually, well, they're out of town a whole lot. And they can't be together on Sunday mornings that much. But then eventually when they leave, that's why. It happens over time. There's an old saying that goes like this. You probably heard it. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Y'all heard that? You know, the idea that if you're not around somebody, that it makes you love them more, if, and that kind of thing. Well, that might be true in, in fairy tales, but I believe when it comes to relationships, and especially with church relationships, I've coined this phrase, and I'm going to trademark it. I don't think anybody else has said it. At least I'm standing on that. Absence makes the heart grow bitter. Absence makes the heart grow bitter. If you're in a relationship, whether it be a friendship or a dating relationship or a marriage or a church relationship or, or whatever it may be, you and your children, when you are not around them, it can easily turn to absence makes the heart grow bitter because what's happening is, especially if there's tension in the relationship, what you do is you're not communicating with them anymore, but you're still communicating. You're just filling in what their side of the conversation is. Did y'all hear that? devil don't want y'all to hear that. Listen up. You are still communicating if you are distant from someone. You're just filling in the other side of the conversation. And so you begin to think, that's what they're thinking about me. And that may be the farthest thing from the truth. It happens with church families all the time. People start to miss and they start to feel guilty. And so they think, oh, those church people, they're talking about me. Even though you know good and well, you know, yeah, they're imperfect people. But they're not usually tearing people down. But you're the one they're tearing down, right? They've been loving and kind to this person and that person and that person when they've struggled and they've had issues. Oh, but I'm the one. And we need to understand this truth that absence can make the heart grow bitter. So when you distance yourself, you've got to do all you can to get back. It happens with family, with friends, with spouses, with church family. And it even happens with God. So here's why it's so important to meet together. Encourage one another more and more and more. You see, your attendance isn't just about you, it's about other people too. He doesn't say, don't give up meeting together so you will be encouraged. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't give up meeting together so you will be encouraged. We are to encourage one another. You see, God knows a thing or two. He made us. And he knows how our minds work. God knows that when we are always seeking encouragement, we seldom find it. Am I right? When you're always seeking encouragement, you always need encouragement, you usually don't find it. Because people can't tell you enough good things to make you feel better. But when you actively go and you're seeking to encourage people, that's when you begin to feel encouraged the most yourself. And so it's time for us to do what the scripture commands and encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I got a little homework for you. Everybody listen up. I will end today, I promise. I, I know I'm, I'm fired up today. But I want you to hear this. You need to tell somebody this. And I'm sure it's not you. You're not the one that needs to hear it. So just remember it so you can tell it to somebody who really needs to hear it. Everybody got me? All right. Encouragers don't normally have better lives than you. Encouragers don't normally have better lives than you. They just choose to think about others first and encourage them. I know you don't need to hear that. 
I know you don't need to hear that, but you know somebody who does. The people who, like me sometimes, who are throwing the little pity party, and like my mom used to say, nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm going to the garden to eat worms. That was the song that I would, you know, she'd tell me I need to sing. When you're in that mood and when you're in that mindset and you're like, somebody needs to encourage me, the people who are going around encouraging people, they don't have it better than you. They might have it worse than you. But they are seeking to encourage other people first, and that's why their outset, their outlook and their mindset changes. Those people have learned the secret to joy. Have you ever heard the acronym for joy? Jesus, others, and then yourself last. Joy, Jesus, others, and yourself last. So who are you actively encouraging with your words and your actions and your presence? If nobody pops in your mind, it's time to get to work. There's one last little thing I want to share with you. He says, all the more as you see the day approaching. If Jesus is not back yet, then you need to start and keep encouraging people. You cannot give up. You cannot walk away. And he goes on to say this. We've got to keep following God's GPS. Now, this is my paraphrase. And keep it between the lines because this is real stuff. Look at verse 26. It says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You see, if we walk away after becoming a Christian, it's a terrible thing, he says. He goes on to talk about it in verses 28 through 31, about how it's worse to turn away from God than it was for even the Old Testament Christians, the Old Testament saints, excuse me. It was worse for a New Testament Christian, one of us, to walk away than it was for an Old Testament. We think, well, the Old Testament was the time when it was really judgmental and, you know, that the earth swallowed up and snakes would come out and bite complainers. Man, we'd all be dead now, right? But that was the hard times. But he says there in Hebrews chapter 10 that it's worse for us who are Christians to walk away than it was for the Old Testament people to reject God. But when we reject Jesus and his grace, it's a whole different level. And he goes on to say in verse 32 and 34, he says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. Sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when you, all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So what he's saying is, remember when you were a Christian and you went to the lengths that you maybe don't go to now? He's saying, go back to those things. Remember the joy that you have and what it brought you. I was reminded of this passage this past week in light of Afghanistan, as we mentioned earlier, and all the things that we've been seeing going on. Many of you may have seen the post that was going around social media where it said, many Afghan Christians will die this week because they chose to worship and many American Christians chose not to worship because something else was more important. Man, that hit me right in the heart. It hit me right between the eyes. But God says the same thing to us that he said to them. Look at verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't give up. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. Jesus is coming back. But my righteous one shall live by faith and if he or she shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
He's saying, don't give up. Jesus is coming back. If you are with me, you're not going to shrink back. So hold on. Hold to me. Hang on. Don't give up. Endure. Hold on to the end. Follow Jesus. Listen to the directions in his word, his truth, and his truth alone. Not what I say, but what God says. Not what any preacher says or any person says, but what God says. And encourage others to stay the course. And as we wrap up here, this leads to my favorite verse, verse 39. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. I love how it said in the NIV, it says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We are not people who walk away and give up and quit. We are people because of the blood of Jesus who stand strong and cling to him. Am I right? You've got to say it, you've got to believe it, and you've got to get up and make it true. You cling to Jesus in everything. We're built to last. What we are made of is tough stuff because of the, the grace and the glory of God. We're built to last. We just got to keep it between the lines. And I love what comes next. In Hebrews chapter 11, right after this, we have the hall of faith, right? These people who are faithful even though they went through these difficult times. What does that remind us, that whole chapter? You are not alone. There are other people who have been there and done that. They stayed faithful. You're not alone. And then you go to Hebrews chapter 12, and it starts off talking about since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that, that cloud of witnesses in chapter 11, he says, run the race with endurance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You can do this. You can finish strong. You can run this race. You might want to quit. Your leg might be hurting. You might feel out of breath. But you can get up and keep running because Jesus has run the race for you. Fix your eyes on him. He's strong when you were weak. You may feel like giving up, but I want you to remember that Jesus didn't give up on you. So what is faithfulness? We've been given these working definitions each time of every other part that we've talked about, but I want to share with you a little working definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is believing God is good when life is hard, so you keep trusting and repenting and confessing him every day. It's really what it is. It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting it right every time, all the time. It's not about being uh, necessarily a Mr. or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes, even though we're going to grow in grace and we're going to grow in righteousness. But what it is is it's simply believing God is good, even when life is hard. So you keep trusting in Him with everything that you have. You keep repenting every day when you get distracted and turned away, and you confess Him every day of your life. That's what being faithful to Jesus is, and that's what He calls us to do. And our earthly road trips, they've led us to believe that God is the same as our imperfect GPS, our old maps, and our messed up direction givers, but that's why we seek to follow God. He is perfect. When we are wrong, He is right. He knows the way. He showed us the way. He is the way. He is the way. So it's time to cling to Him. If your goal is to find your way back to God today on this road of life, got to meet him on his terms not on anybody else's today is the day you can decide i'm going to finish strong but you know where that starts it starts with surrender 
Maybe today you've realized that you've never followed Jesus and you need to give your life to him. If you believe, you trust in him, you're willing to turn away, repent from your sin, confess him as Lord and King, meet him in the waters of baptism. He'll wash you and make you clean, forgiving your sins and giving you the Holy Spirit, the presence of God inside you. You can do that today and then he calls you to keep clinging to him and running that race. And maybe you have walked away and you've stopped running and you've been one that's going to sit there and I'm not going to serve and I haven't encouraged anybody. I want people to come to me. Maybe today is the day that you repent of that. And you say, I'm going to be who God has called me to be. I'm not going to give up meeting with the church. I'm going to encourage one another. I'm going to be an instigator of good and love works, uh, love and good works. I'm going to do all I can to be faithful to Jesus because he has been faithful to me. I'm going to be right over here on the side and I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. I want to encourage you to do something as we get ready to sing. I want you to look around this room, and I want you to think about praying for these people around you because they need somebody to pray for them to stay strong and faithful till the end, and you need. So I want you to look around. If you want to, you can tap them on the shoulder. If you don't know their name, say, what's your name real quick, and just pray for them by name by yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. But pray for one another, encourage one another, and let's finish the race strong. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.